You're listening to episode 17 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, TFMR, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. This episode is a documentation of weeks 10 and 11 of my pregnancy, including my first ultrasound back with my specialist, and also my first visit with a perinatal specialist. I talk about my first time getting asked the question, is this your and how I responded, revisiting the same ultrasound room where I last had a scan with the baby I miscarried a year ago, and talking with a specialist about birth plans, such as VBAC versus a repeat c Here's the episode. So, catching up on weeks 10 and 11 of our pregnancy, um, for the most part, I've continued to feel well, um, just having kind of first trimester symptoms still, so fatigue and um, a little bit of sensitivity to certain tastes and smells, but I'm really lucky to not have, um, you know, nausea or vomiting like a lot of women do. In the last episode, I left off with talking about how we graduated from our fertility clinic and, um, pretty shortly thereafter, a few days later, we had our first appointment with my regular OB and, um, I was kind of anticipating having some anxiety for that appointment because the last time that I had an ultrasound there it was about a year ago when I had my miscarriage at 10 weeks. And so I knew I was going to have to go into the same ultrasound room and there was definitely some, um, some trauma, some emotional trauma in that space. And so just the idea of returning there um, caused me some anxiety. And it was also the first appointment where Hunter would not be able to attend with me, my husband, because of COVID-19. So he actually drove me to the appointment and waited in the car, which was really sweet because the appointment, you know, with the waiting time and everything ended up being over an hour. And I know that it's just not fun to sit, sit in a car for that long. Um, So yeah, it was, um, a little bit, so it was definitely stressful waiting in the waiting room, um, had to wait about 20 minutes, which isn't unusual, but, you know, again, just anticipating being in that same ultrasound room and hoping, of course, this time that we get good news and we have a good scan. So, Um, I finally got called in and thankfully the ultrasound technician was a new person, someone I hadn't met before. Her name was Brittany, I think, and she was so sweet. Um, She also, as it turned out, was the first person to ask me during this pregnancy, is this your first? And I know that's something a lot of people, a lot of moms in 
pregnancy after loss talk about encountering, especially when they start to show. Um, and since I'm not really showing yet, but obviously she knows I'm pregnant, that seemed, that's a natural question. Um, so I, it was interesting. It was something I hadn't really prepared for. And my response immediately was, no, this is our second, um, but our first baby, unfortunately, was stillborn. And I've gotten a lot more comfortable with telling that story. Obviously, I talk about it a lot. Um, and so I, I tried to tell it in a way that wouldn't, um, you know, make her uncomfortable because I'm always like aware of that, which I don't know if I should be or not. But um, she handled it really well. And um, I could tell from that point on that she kind of went the extra mile to make the, the appointment or the scan extra comfortable for me. And, um, so she got right to it. It was also the first scan that they were able to put the wand just directly onto my belly, which was a relief because up until now I've had like a million vaginal ultrasounds, which they, those kind of get old after a while. Um, so she put it on my belly and almost right away I could see the baby wiggling around on the screen. And that brought me so much peace. Ugh, just seeing you know, movement on this screen where a year ago I saw only stillness. Um, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. And I wonder if, you know, I'll ever get used to a normal ultrasound scan. It's just like, I have such a different perspective on it now. I'm just filled with peace and gratitude and, um, joy. And it's just always such a relief because there is a buildup of anxiety, for each scan as I've, as it has been my experience so far. Um, so she talked me through the whole scan, which was awesome because I've had other technicians in the past too. They would do the scan and not really say much, which usually causes me to have some anxiety, like wondering what's going on. But she, um, yeah, she just talked me through the whole thing and kept reassuring me that everything looked good. So that was, um, very redemptive, I guess to have a good experience in that same room. And so then I went back into the waiting room and had to wait to see the doctor, my OB, and um, finally got to see her. And it was so nice because she obviously has been following us through this whole journey. Although she didn't deliver Ellis, she wasn't with us during that pregnancy. She, um, we switched to her very shortly after his stillbirth. And so she's been with us for two years trying to help us get pregnant. She's been with us through the miscarriage and the chemical pregnancies. And she was the one who referred us to our fertility doctor. So she and our fertility doctor are actually friends. They went to, they did their medical residencies together. So she said that they had been texting and that our fertility doctor told her that we were pregnant and they were both just so excited and she said, you know, there are some patients that you really just root a little extra hard for. And you guys are definitely um, some of those people. And that just made me feel so supported and cared for. So the appointment was pretty straightforward. I was um, right on the dot 10 weeks. And um, so we just talked about um, kind of the frequency of appointments, which at this point, They'll only be able to see me every month, once a month, until um, I think until the third trimester, and then we'll go to weekly appointments. And 
I said, you know, I've been used to weekly ultrasounds with our fertility clinic, which has been so nice and reassuring. And she understood that. And one thing we talked about before was that she was going to refer us to a, a perinatal specialist, like a high risk doctor, basically for pregnancies. And that that would also give us a few extra appointments and just extra reassurance, extra monitoring, which I'm all for. So she ended up referring us to a a local group of specialists. And I made an appointment later that day and was able to um, see them within about a week and a half because they like to see their patients um, at 11 weeks. So actually, I guess it was a week and a couple days later. And that appointment actually was at... A local hospital. So um, leading up to it, you know, it was definitely more stressful because it's our first visit to a new doctor. It's a high-risk specialist. I don't know what to expect. It's our first time going into a hospital setting during the pandemic. Um, so I was a little tense and emotional, to say the least. Um, They had told us that we needed to get there about 30 minutes before our appointment because there would be um, extra screening for us to just get into the hospital. So when we were both required to wear masks, and thankfully, Hunter, they allowed him to attend just this first appointment um, since it's kind of an overview of all of our medical history. And so when we arrived at the hospital, We had to have our temperatures taken at the entrance and have name tags put on. And then we found our way to our doctor's office and same thing, had to have our temperatures taken again, sign in and everything, which we're totally fine with. Um, It just, it, it makes things feel very surreal and kind of made me hyper aware of, you know, the things that are going on in our world. Everyone was wearing masks, of course. Um, and keeping distance. So it's just, it's just odd. Um, and thankfully we didn't have to wait very long to be seen. And, um, they did the kind of standard thing to my blood pressure. Um, and then we went in and had a consultation going over all of our history with one of the nurses. Um, And thankfully, she was very kind because obviously we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff with going over all of our history. Um, And I had already filled out all of the introductory paperwork, so she had a a lot of it written down, but she just wanted to go over all of that with us and ask us additional questions. So that part took probably like 30 minutes and honestly just kind of drained me. Um, A lot of the things she asked, I couldn't. I kind of fumbled through. I couldn't remember a lot of details, including what hospital Ellis was born at and how much he weighed when he was stillborn. And those, that kind of um, reality of not being able to remember those details. And I eventually did. It just took, you know, a little longer than I would have liked. Um, and, and to my credit, Hunter couldn't really remember them either. So it took us both kind of helping each other to remember things, but it was kind of that sense of, you know, almost two years has passed and we only have so many details like that related to Ellis's short life. And it made me sad that I couldn't 
remember them. Um, And since then, I wrote an Instagram post about it and had so many people send me super kind, assuring messages just saying, you know, I've had a similar experience. Um, A lot of them are parents to living children. And I think the difference is, you know, it's understandable that as a child continues to grow, um, that you wouldn't remember those details because there are so many new details that continue to come with that child's life. But with Ellis, like I said, there are just so few um, little details about him because his life was so short. And so it just made me sad that I was already starting to forget those things. Um, but someone someone sent me a really sweet message and just said, even though you forget those details, it it really doesn't matter because it doesn't mean that it doesn't make Ellis's life or impact any less significant. And I really appreciated that because I know that's true deep down. Um, and I did, I did kind of remember, you know, he was three pounds. I just didn't remember how many ounces he was um, and those sorts of things. So anyways, the other thing that I could not remember was all of the medications that I've been on since we started this journey of trying to conceive, especially with IVF. And I've taken more medications in this past two years than I have in my whole entire life. Um, You know, medications, supplements, hormones. Um, So, you know, the nurse was asking me things like the the dosage of certain medications that I've been on. And I just, I could not, I had no idea (laughs) what to tell her. Um, So just that whole process of reflecting on our, our history just over the last two years made me realize truly how much we have been through. And even the nurse said that. She's just like, boy, you guys have been through a lot. So once we got through that, we had a very long ultrasound. Um, First with a technician, she spent probably 20 or so minutes looking at the baby on the ultrasound machine Um, and thank goodness she was also kind and talked me through it. Um, everything looked great. Again, he was wiggling around. I could see his heartbeat. All those things are just so reassuring. And she went through kind of all of his, um, you know, the, the growth and certain organs and things that they want to see and labeled them into their computer. Um, two arms, two legs, all that good stuff. So that just was really reassuring. I'll never get tired of of looking at the baby. Um, And so once she was done, the doctor came in and he did an ultrasound on top of that. So um, he just reaffirmed everything looked great. And we even got uh, this really awesome picture of the baby waving. It looks like he's waving to the, to us in the, um, on the little ultrasound picture. So that was a really cool moment. Um, I just can't believe that, you know, he's like two inches long and already has fingers and toes. It's just incredible. And you can see them on the scan. I just couldn't believe it. Um, and that's one benefit of being considered high risk is that we get so much more attention with this pregnancy than we did with Ellis. So, you know, I was seeing a group of midwives who were affiliated with the hospital with Ellis and, um, but I think I might've had just like maybe three or four ultrasounds. Um, so we didn't really get to see him very much. 
And uh, for the most part, during my appointments, we would just hear his heartbeat, which of course was great. Um, but this time with this baby from the beginning, we've just gotten to see him grow almost every week, which is just so incredible. Um, it gives me such an appreciation for the miracle of life. Um, and just that we all are, are here and just how resilient babies are. And he's growing all, all on his, all on his own. Um, and so the doctor asked, um, what questions, we had, and um, I really wanted to talk about um, kind of our birth birth options because that's been something I've known from the beginning that because I needed a C-section with Ellis because he was transverse, so I couldn't birth him um, vaginally, uh, which was initially the plan, of course. Um, they have since told me that, you know, having one C-section can potentially complicate, um, future pregnancies. So my, I've gotten kind of mixed opinions so far. My OB has been advocating that we do a a scheduled repeat C-section and she has really compelling reasons that I agree with. Um, for one thing, she said, it'll give us peace of mind at that point, since we had a late term stillbirth, um, at 32 weeks, you know, being able to say, okay, at 38 weeks or 39 weeks, whatever it ends up being on this day, we're having the baby. And, um, you know, ideally, hopefully it will be a a quick and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if the word easy is right, but a smooth procedure and, um, and then we would have our baby. And of course, the fear with the alternative, which is a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, um, the fear is that you could have a uterine rupture at the site of the C-section scar. Because when you go into labor, um, that the uterus stretches and contracts, and um, there's a very small chance, but potentially catastrophic you know, chance of of the uterus rupturing, which can be um, deadly for the mom and the baby, which is, of course, terrifying, but it's a less than 1% chance. But stillbirth is also a less than 1% chance. So I think once you've been that, you know, 1%, it's hard to, you really take those statistics even more seriously because you know that it's it can happen. So I know my OB, um, you know, she, she, of course, is taking into account our mental well-being and also our physical well-being. Um, and the other factor is that her hospital only allows repeat cesareans, so she cannot do a VBAC. She did tell us, though, that if we want to do a VBAC, she will absolutely support that, and she will help us to find another OB who can do that at a different hospital. Um, but you know, I'm partial to staying with our OB because like I said, we've been with her for two years and she's been so supportive and great. Um, so I feel a little torn. And then the fertility doctor who she recommended us to, who's her friend, um, in one of our appointments early on, she recommended that we, we try for a VBAC. Um, and she said we were, that I was a great candidate because, my scar was done um, very low on my uterus, and 
Um, it's been, you know, almost two years since that procedure. So my body has had a lot of time to heal. I also had a hysteroscopy and um, she was able to look inside my uterus, see the scar. She didn't find any extra tissue. She said it looked great. It had healed really well. So she was really advocating to try for a VBAC. Um, and her reasoning is that she knows we want to have multiple children. We have two frozen embryos left. And that with every repeat cesarean, your um, odds of complications increase. And so if you have a VBAC, then, you know, ideally you could continue to have natural births. And with each one, I guess the odds of uterine rupture decreases. So all that to say, I've, I've just been kind of, those thoughts have been in the back of my mind. Um, and at the time that we had those conversations with my OB and fertility doctor, we weren't even pregnant yet. So it didn't feel like a, a pressing decision. Um now that we're pregnant, I know that that will kind of sneak up on us quickly. And if we do want to try for a VBAC, we need to find an OB. Um, so it does feel more pressing. So I, I presented all of this to this perinatal specialist and he didn't really, um, necessarily give us an opinion. He, he kind of just gave us more statistics and said that if you have, multiple cesareans, the odds of having what's called placenta accreta increases with each C-section. And placenta accreta is where the placenta basically grows too deeply into the uterine lining. And um, normally the uterus has um, kind of like a a shield. (laughs) That's not a medical term, but he he was using medical terms to describe this to us. Um, and it kind of prevents that placenta from um, attaching too deeply. But when you have a C-section scar, that scar kind of cuts into that shield. And so if the embryo attaches, you know, on that scar, then the placenta can grow too deeply into the uterus, which can cause really detrimental complications. Um, usually, he said, what ends up happening is that at birth, they end up doing a hysterectomy after the baby is born. So they remove the entire uterus because they can't remove the placenta from the uterus. I think, I don't know if that's always the case, but, and, um, so that would mean no more pregnancies, um, on top of a lot of other things I'm sure that come along with a hysterectomy, which, I remember Hunter looking at me in the appointment and being like, whoa. Um, So again, knowing that we want to have ideally more than one living child, um, that really complicates things for us because if we want to have two or three living children, that means I will have had three or four C-sections. And I know people who've, you know, my cousin had three C-sections and everything was fine, but You just never know how it's going to react in your own body. Um, So it's really difficult to weigh all of those different statistics and decisions. Um, And it sounds like the placenta accreta is not necessarily going to result in death of the mother or baby. Whereas if you do have a uterine rupture, it can be deadly. Um, 
but it seems like the uterine rupture is much less likely to happen. So, I don't know, in, in one way I'm kind of leaning toward trying for a VBAC because, like I said, my scar was in an ideal place. Even the, um, I remember after Ellis was born, the doctor told my family that she did intentionally did this incision to so that I could have a natural birth in the future. Um, and, you know, his C-section was not an emergency so that she was able to take her time doing it. Um, and, it, and it's been two years. I've had lots of time to heal. I'm healthy. So I don't know. It After that appointment, I felt like my head was just swirling with all this information. The doctor also talked about, kind of speculated about what caused Ellis's stillbirth, which, um, you know, it's hard to revisit that um, because in a lot of ways I've kind of closed that door, like just accepted that his stillbirth was unexplained. You know, they didn't find any problems with the placenta or the cord. Um, he looked physically perfect. His genetic testing came back normal. Um, so we have no medical explanation, but this new doctor was kind of trying to, you know, he was asking certain questions like had I had, had I been tested, tested for blood clotting disorders, um, which I of course couldn't remember. So they tested me again. Um, but he said, you know, a lot of times people who have had a stillbirth and miscarriage end up having some kind of blood clotting disorder. Um, and I had been on Lovenox, which is a blood thinner at the beginning of this pregnancy. And then I was taken off when my fertility specialist found a, a hematoma, um, next to the yolk sac, which is just like a small, um, blood pocket, I guess. And she said, you know, at that point, the Lovenox, the blood thinner had already done its job. So it was okay to get off of it. But he said, depending on how my test results come back, he might put me back on the Lovenox, which of course I will do if it will help the, the baby. Um, but it's just a lot, it's a lot to take in all of it. Um, and you know, in a certain way, I would love to have an, a reason for everything that we've gone through, like a medical reason for why certain things have happened, um, I don't know if that would, you know, help my grief at all, but at least moving forward, it would give us something to know, maybe some reassurance, like, okay, we have this problem, we were able to treat it, and hopefully it's not going to happen again, whereas now we don't really know if these things are going to happen again because we don't know why they happened. So, yeah, I came home from that appointment, and the rest of the day I was just kind of, like, totally drained, um... And just physically, emotionally, didn't really do much, just kind of laid around, tried to read and um, distract myself from thinking about it. But um, my mom called and that was good. I kind of talked through it with her and I had a feeling I'd feel better the next day, um, which I did. It I'm really affected by the weather, so um, woke up the next day and it was just beautiful outside. The sun was shining, the temperature was perfect. I took our dog for a walk in the morning and I just thought, okay, it's a new day. We don't need to make any decisions today or even tomorrow. Um, and thankfully, I have all of these professionals who are helping us to 
make these decisions and, you know, give us all this information and, and gather information about us. Um, and I can go and, you know, talk with another OB and who can do a VBAC and get their opinion. I'm sure that will help me to, you know, feel better or have some more clarity. So, um, I just be curious if any of you listening have been through an experience like this. Um, if you're, if you're kind of listening live versus listening later, um, I would love to have your experience of um, VBAC versus repeat cesarean after a stillbirth um, because I did Google, which I've told myself during this pregnancy, I'm not going to Google a lot, but I felt like I really just needed some extra information about um, this topic. And what I could find was really good. I found a, a website called VBAC Facts. Um, I think VBACFacts.com. And she seemingly has unbiased information from very reputable reputable sources, just trying to truly lay out the facts. Um, and in my mind, I would love to have a VBAC because that was my plan with Ellis, um, was to have to try for a natural birth, an unmedicated natural birth in a hospital. Um, I, I like even with Ellis's pregnancy the that there was nothing, um, we were given no indication that there was anything to be worried about with the pregnancy. I still liked the idea of being in a hospital so that if something did go wrong, we were right there with those resources. Um, so anyways, yeah, if you have any experience that you're willing to share, I'd love it. Um, you can go to my website, taylorashleybates.com and contact me through the website. Um, or you can reach out to me through Instagram. So thanks so much for listening. Um, if you're currently pregnant and following along, um, I just want you to know you're not alone. And this journey is really challenging. Um, for the most part, on a regular day-to-day basis, I do feel a lot of peace. Um, but then these appointments and this kind of information overload that's when the anxiety really comes in and you, it's, it's a lot of work and it's, it sometimes just makes you wish like, I just wish I could be normal. You know, I know there is no such thing as normal, but you know what I mean? Have a quote, normal experience of pregnancy and birth, but that's not our reality. Um, so at least we have each other to lean on and support, support one another. So thank you for supporting me and I hope I'm supporting you too. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. To connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback helps others to find it, and it is also so encouraging to me. Until next time, I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.